This week, we're talking about co-parenting from the point of view of a mother who is in a co-parenting arrangement with a gay couple. It should be no surprise to you at this point in the series that we'll be discussing reproduction. So, again, it may be a good idea to put some headphones on if little ones are in the area. The subject of miscarriage is also brought up this week. So, if you're sensitive to this topic, you may wish to skip out on this week's episode entirely. If this is your first time listening to us, you may want to hit pause and go check out our previous episodes first. You don't have to, but for the best experience, I recommend listening to the show in chronological order. My name is Connor James, and you're listening to The Daddy Issue. co-parenting when it comes to divorced parents raising their children. You may not be familiar with intended co-parenting, which is deliberately raising your child with another party. This week, we're talking about the latter, from the point of view of a mother who set out to start a family of her own with a gay couple. If you listened to last week's episode, you know who I'm talking about already, Sarah Custer, the trailblazer who literally wrote the book on co-parenting. Right now, Sarah's book, The Wish and the Fathers, is only available in Dutch but she's hoping to publish an English version soon. In any case, this week on The Daddy Issue, we're treating you to an English audiobook edition. I got to ask Sarah all about her co-parenting journey. And yes, I also read her book. Before I met Sarah, I had absolutely no idea what co-parenting was. I'd never come across the term, despite the fact I can literally count on one hand how many of my friends have parents who are not divorced. Intended co-parenting is, of course, very different and very deliberate. On the one hand, the subject seems fascinating and groundbreaking, but on the other, it also just makes sense. Matching, for example, single women who want to have a child with gay couples who can't. Or matching lesbian and gay couples together who both want to have a child. Now, that's not to say it's an easy thing to do or an easy decision to make, but it definitely sounded like a two-bird, one-stone solution to me. So, in the next part of the show, I'll be sitting down with Sarah Costa, and she'll be explaining to me exactly how she became a co-parent. Sarah, thank you so much again for your time. I know we discussed this a little bit last time, but I was wondering if you could... Let me know for the record, what exactly is co-parenting? Normally, co-parenting can be done when you divorce and then the child will live with his father and with his mother. But this is, uh, yeah, it's called initial co-parenting. So in advance, you decide we want to form one family together, but we live in two houses. So for instance, I'm a single straight woman and I met a gay couple and we wanted to have children together. And we decided to be one family in two houses. So 
we co-parent, but it was our plan to co-parent. It's not created by divorce. And is there a limitation then to how many people can form a co-parenting agreement in the Netherlands? Is it limited to two parties? Well, if it's not officially, you can create your own family what you want to, but by law, it's just allowed to have two legal parents. One of them is the mother who gives birth to the child. So that's me in this case. And then you can choose one other legal parent. So one of the fathers is not the legal parent of his son. They're officially no family. Okay. And is this something that is unique to the Netherlands? Or is this something that's also possible in other countries? If we talk about like from a strictly legal sense, um, or is this a quite a Dutch thing? Well, you can do it in every country, uh, but it's... Yeah, I think it's done a lot in the Netherlands compared to other countries. I do hear it from other countries, but yeah, there is no legal base for it. But there was a statute committee four years ago, and the government asked this committee, what can we do to take care of these children? And they advised that a child can have up to four parents as long as they go before they start to get pregnant, that they go to a a judge together with a special person who represents the child, then you can get permission for up to four legal parents. But this is just an advice. It's not a law yet. Okay, so maybe in the coming years that will become legal. I think we discussed this last time as well, that this is something that's been advised, but it's not yet been adopted by the Dutch government. Right. That'd be pretty cool if it was. So one of the main reasons why I was excited to talk to you is because you are, of course the parents of children and you co-parents with a gay couple. And you wrote a book about that. The Wish and the Fathers. Which I am reading, but of course, every listening at home maybe isn't reading it. So I was wondering, did you always want to have children? Yeah, I think so. It, it was not really a wish, but I assumed I would be a mother. Like I'm a daughter of my parents. I assumed I would be a mother. And when I was 35, I realized that if you're single, you don't become a parent automatically. You really have to find a boyfriend or make a plan. And I made a plan. What was the kind of eureka moment where you thought, you know what, the way I'm going to achieve this, the way I'm going to get my my goal of becoming a mother is to co-parent. When did that hit you? Well, I always thought when I'm 34, I will have uh, two children. But the day after my 35th birthday, I realized that I wasn't 34 anymore and there were no children. There wasn't even a boyfriend. So when all the birthday visitors left the house and left a big mess of uh, empty bottles, etc. in my house, I went to the balcony and I thought, well, I have to give myself some time to think this over. And Question one, do I want children? And that was within what one second, yes, I want to become a mother. I don't want to be 50, look in the mirror and see myself without children. So that was one second. The, the second question I asked myself is, is my wish large enough to choose to have children with a donor and to do it on my own? The answer on that question was no. I do want to do it together with somebody I want to have the good and the bad things together with another parent of the children. And then I thought, well, do I have enough time for dating? But I was 35. And if you want to have a family together with somebody, I think you have to know each other for a long time. 
and have to know each other very well because what I didn't want is a divorce. And then I thought, well, I can do co-parenting with a good friend. And I was thinking about friends I had and then I thought about the gay guy and I didn't want to have children with him. But then I thought, with a gay person, that would be great because his mother wants to become a grandmother but thought she would never have grandchildren. So I just have to look for a gay guy <laughs> to have children with. Well, that wasn't that easy. But uh, <laughs> after a long time, I finally found Simon and Luca. We met each other and we talked about having children together. And when you guys met, so you, you decided, I'm going to find a gay guy because that means I can help them fulfill also their desire to have children. Because obviously they also need somebody if they want to have a child. But I mean, you mentioned co-parenting. Was this already something that was kind of not, I'd not say popular, but this was something that was already happening at the time? Well, there were gay couples with lesbian couples, but I think I was the first single heterosexual woman who started a co-parenting family with a gay couple. So it was really, yeah, maybe there was another family, I don't know, but I never met them. So yeah, we were pioneers on this uh, family construction. So I'm talking to the pioneer of heterosexual, homosexual co-parenting. That's pretty, it's pretty cool. And once you'd found the fathers, how did you go about making sure that you were the right fit for each other? Well, that takes time. You don't decide this overnight. First, I met a few other guys and well, some of them were really nice, but it didn't have the real feeling you need to have. And when I met these two guys, I knew quite fast already this can be something serious and then we took a half a year to really get to know each other we saw each other three times a week we discussed everything we met each other's family we also went to my father who is on the graveyard <laughs> and we went to one of the guys is from italy so we went to his parents in rome and we stayed there for a week so we really did do a lot together. We stayed overnight in each other's houses. We did all kinds of things. And we talked a lot about how do you think about raising children? Whose last name will the child get? Will we always stay in Amsterdam? What if somebody wants to move to another country or another city? So we really spoke about a lot of things. And after six months, we said yes to each other with flowers. And um, then we started. So it was kind of like a really intense... Almost like dating, it's I suppose. It's really exactly like dating. The only thing is I didn't have to shave my legs. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter if, you're, uh, if your hair looks like a bird nest. But further, it's like dating. And it's somehow the same feeling, like coming home, like feeling comfortable with each other. You will be together for the rest of your life. And... We want to have children, but the child isn't there to decide it with us. So we really had to decide this and really had to say to each other and to ourselves, whatever happens, we are going to make this work. If there's trouble in paradise, we will solve the problems together. So it's really just making sure that that bond was strong and that you all had that confidence in each other that this was going to work and even when things go bad, yeah. that you could all stick together and just pull through it like a, like a family, which is what you were going to become. How did your own family respond to you when you told me you were going to co-parent? Well, my mother is always a person of lists. So I said to her, well, I want to talk to you about 
I want to co-parent with a gay couple. And then she says, well, first I have a list. Can you repair this? And there's a problem with my outlook. And when the list was finished, she said, oh, co-parent with a gay couple. That's a good idea. I think that 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 fits you because I don't see you together with a husband every evening on the couch at eight o'clock watching the news with a cup of coffee together. Um, Yeah. And then I have two sons-in-law. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, there's something else on my list. And then she continued. (laughs) So it was just like if I told her, like, do you want brown or white bread? It was okay with her. And uh, she was, I think, 80 when the first grandchild was born. My brother doesn't have children. He's not able to have children. He's 11 years older than I am. So it was also great news for her, her to become a grandmother. Finally, because all her friends already had grandchildren. Yeah, so she finally got to um, achieve that. I, I can, yeah, I feel it sometimes from my own mother. She doesn't ask, but she can sometimes, when I speak to her about children, she is sometimes very much like, well, I would love to have grandchildren. <laughs> I, I, I'm not forcing you into anything, but if you do decide to have children, she's quite worried because, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the eldest and she hasn't got grandkids yet and she doesn't want to be too old. Um, so I understand that. How did the fathers, were their families all okay with this as well? Yeah, yeah, no trouble there. Um, It helped. There were some friends who said to me, well, this is a bit strange. They are used to coloring within the lines and I was coloring out of the lines. So, but when they, when they met the guys, they were not called fathers then yet, but the guys, the youngins in Dutch, when they met them, they said, yeah, I, I can imagine that you want to be a family with them. First, I thought, hmm, sharing your baby, is this a good idea? But now I've met the boys, I, I can imagine that you that you will be a family together. Uh, after that, when I got the first child, I thought, hmm, sharing your baby, somebody said that would be difficult, and it is. But we come to that point later. <laughs> but um, yeah, seeing the, the, the boys helped. Yeah, so it is really like dating in a way, kind of when you bring your boyfriend or your girlfriend home to get the approval from your parents and your friends. And sometimes your friends are more important than your parents because they're the ones they're going to probably spend more time with. So it does sound like you guys must have been a strong unit because if people see that just from looking at you all together and go, hey, this is a good idea, then that just proves that that bond is there. If we move on now to the beginning of your journey together into actually becoming parents, I was wondering what option did you guys choose for conception? Did you go for something like IVF or did you choose um, something like home insemination? Yeah, IVF is when you have fertility problems and that's quite a difficult procedure. A lot of people ask me, oh, then it's IVF. No, IVF is, is taking hormones and having a treatment if you have fertility problems. But this you can do through home insemination. One person uh, has put some sperm in, in our case, in an empty peanut butter pot <laughs> <laughs> without peanut butter. And somebody else from us, like me, uh, put it uh, in myself. And uh, I got pregnant five times. So, But the first three times uh, when I was pregnant, I got a miscarriage. Oh, I'm sorry to hear. And after that, two children. So, um, yeah, it works doing it at home, home insemination. And when you did get pregnant then with your first child, what is it like being a pregnant mother in 
a relationship where there's two fathers. How does that work? I'm guessing you guys are going to the hospital together. They're kind of they're cutting your grass. Um, like, what kind of support did they give you during the pregnancy? That was okay. We had to explain it, and we had to pick up a chair from the hallway to have enough chairs in the room. And we had to explain sometimes some things, questions like, who is the real father? Well, if you want to know who's the biological father, that's Simon, but they both will be fathers. And because it was a cesarean, uh, then you're just allowed to have one person in the OR. Or, well, you always are just allowed one person, but then we had to choose which father and well, it was a serious surgery. So I wanted to have my best friend who is a midwife to come with me in the OR to support me, not to see the baby being born. Uh, it's the child of the fathers and me, but I wanted her next to me to take care of me. The fathers were on the hallway and they got their son as soon as he was allowed to go out of the OR. And I wasn't yet. Well, I guess it's kind of fair as well then, because then they're both in the hallway waiting and nobody's the favorite. <laughs> no. So you mentioned having to get chairs and stuff. So I guess... Yeah, you must have had to explain this quite a lot, even to medical experts, that you guys were in a co-parenting relationship, because I suppose at that point, it really wasn't a very common thing to happen. No, and, and, and when we wanted to have the second child, I got questions. I first had to see a psychologist, and she asked, like, are you okay together? And uh, do you take care of the children in the same way? And do you agree about everything? And that was a bit strange, I found, because we had a child already, I needed some medicines to get pregnant from the second one. And um, yeah, do you ask a, a straight couple also if they... The question was, um, if I allowed a child to have some leftovers on his plate when he had dinner and how the fathers did do that. And I was like, do you ask this to heterosexual couples too? But that was a station we had to pass. So we got the stamp, okay medicines and uh, then we had the second child yeah and if you hadn't needed the medicine you would never have got those questions about leftover food no <laughs> which seemed very very bizarre and when you were pregnant did you have to go on autopilots and repeat the same co-parenting story over and over again or did you choose not to tell that story depends it still depends sometimes if i'm somewhere and people ask me about my family or about my work, because my work is now that I'm coaching rainbow families. And as soon as I start to tell my, about my work or my family, then people start to ask questions. And then it's about me for the next half an hour. So sometimes I just say that I have a boring job in IT and I write project plans, which will never be realized. And then we can talk about something else. But if I start to tell about my co-parenting with a gay couple and my job of being a rainbow family coach, then people start to ask questions. And sometimes I just don't want that. But most of the time I'm just honest. And yeah, in the beginning, a lot of people ask me like, what if the boys split up? What if they make you pregnant and leave? And I was like, if they make me pregnant and leave, they have to put their sperm in an empty peanut butter pot. <laughs> and they want to be a father they won't leave me alone with the child. There is a large risk that they want to see the child more than I would like to. So people ask sometimes strange questions. And that's what I also say to clients now, that the fears of other people are most of the time out of their experiences. 
And it doesn't help to ask, it, it helps to ask, ask interesting questions, but not uh, like, oh, when you co-parent from the beginning, that's bad for the child because then it starts in a divorced situation. No, it's different. Please ask the question, like, how do you see this? Well, it's not a divorce. We are together. We are one family in two houses. Uh, so pe- children walk in and out. They have the keys. We all have the keys of each other's houses. Sometimes we swap cars and whatever. We visit each other's family, sometimes without the other person. We're just one family with our happiness and with our fights. Yeah. And I think that's um, quite interesting that you come across that a lot as a coach as well, because I think um, even when I've started this podcast and I let people know I was doing this podcast, a lot of people, the first question was like, oh, why? (laughs) Why are you even doing this podcast? Like it feels like uh, people are really quick to pass their own judgments and experiences onto you without really knowing what it is they want to ask in the first place. Because sometimes it is just a simple question of what if uh, X or Y or Z happens or worst case scenario. Yeah, you you can ask that too to a heterosexual couple. Like you're going to have kids, but if you divorce, uh, will you stay in the same city? And how far away do you want to live from each other? But nobody asks that if a happy straight couple gets married and wants to have children. Nobody asks these questions and we did talk everything through so uh, you make a co-parenting plan you go to a lawyer you say well if we have a fight what do we do whatever a lot yeah i was wondering what would have happened if one of the fathers did decide not to co-parent any anymore if we one about maybe the early stages now of a relationship what implication would that have had on you i'm assuming that yourself and the biological father would have still had legal duties and rights to that child. So that wouldn't have changed, but maybe just the the construct of your relationship would have changed. Well, point one, I have more faith in their relationship than I will ever have in my own relationships. (laughs) (laughs) They are, well, if they say something, they do it. And they said, we will both be the parents of this child. And even if we break up, we will take care together of this child We take care that we split our house in a way that one of them lives upstairs and the other one lives downstairs. So we stay the parents of this child. So very dedicated. I mean, it's funny when you say all of this, you often hear of um, straight couples have happy accidents when they get married and then they have a kid. But in this case, it really is for these non-heteronormative forms of family. You really have to plan everything. So you, you really are building every possible scenario into your future and thinking everything through it. It's not... It's not a quick decision and it's not an easy decision, but it's a decision that's really well thought through. And the kids are always first from what I hear from you every time is that you guys have always thought of every scenario from the point of view of the experience of your children. Yeah. And of course, we also have our problems or our things, but I find it easier to solve them because I talk it over with the fathers of my children who aren't my husbands. What, what what I found difficult in the beginning was when I finally, because I had three miscarriages, so I was nearly 40 when the first child was born and he was in my arms and I thought you will be in my arms forever and you I will breastfeed you till you're 30 years old, not 13, but 30 years old. <laughs> and I never want to share you with anybody and I'm I want to be a spider 
because the female spider eats the man after <laughs> yeah after giving birth yeah after giving so, birth so um, yeah I I didn't want to share the baby so my friends were right it can be difficult to share your baby but I knew I promised myself and the child and the fathers that we would co-parent so I did it slowly bit by bit one hour more one hour more spending one night together with the child at the father's house. Then the child was there for the night and I was at home. Yeah, we grew to the co-parenting. And after 10 months, we had the 50-50 schedule. And then I said, well, um, I think our son needs some help on Father's Day because if he has to make two ashtrays on his own, he needs some help. So do you want another child with me? Because I can imagine that after all the trouble I gave you in not wanting wanting to share, that you don't want a second child, but they wanted a second child. And then the other man was wanted to be the biological father. And he said, well, if you have three miscarriages again and you're 40 now, we'd better, uh, nearly 41 actually, uh, we'd better start now. It might take two years before we're pregnant again. So we started right away and I was pregnant the first time the child was born. And then I suddenly had two children with a, just a little bit of age difference. So um, yeah, that was quite a lot of work. And I'm so sorry for my second son, but it was much easier to share him. Because I was just tired. I also was used to being a mother. I think it was quite overwhelming the first time. You're a mother. There's a child. There, something makes noise in your house and it's not you. Uh, it moves. It's it's a person. So, um, yeah, with the second one, it was easier. I was very tired. Wednesday afternoon at half past five, I was like, aren't you here yet? I was sending text messages like... Uh, this diaper is yours. You're one minute late to pick them up. <laughs> and with the first one, I was like, oh, they're one hour late. I'm happy. <laughs> and now it was like every minute was one too, too much. And then when they came to pick them up, I went to sleep. I was just tired. Yeah. My second child didn't sleep too much. So that, that was easier. Although it also took 10 months before we had the real schedule with the second one. So he could spend a little bit more time with his mother breastfeeding etc in the beginning we did half a week with me and then half a week with the fathers then we changed somewhere like i think after 10 years or something we switched to you have short week and a long week so in the long week you have them the weekend too and in your short week it's just two or three days during the week and recently there are 13 and 15 now we switched to a schedule of one week in one house one week in the, in the other house and halfway the week you have dinner in the other house so you will see them once in that week and i'm very happy with the schedule i couldn't have done this in the beginning a week with them would have been too heavy and a week without them i would have missed them too much but now it's fine. I mean, if they're here, I'm really a mother. And if they're not here, I can really work. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy. Yeah. And, and these agreements, then, they are flexible. So you can, you can of course, change them as it suits. Is this something that you have to do every single time legally or at this point in your relationship together? You guys just agree on that informally? Yeah, we never did things like this legally. That's just you change the schedule and you just do it together. I mean, there's no judge looking at your family the, the the paper which is signed you just get it out of the out of the closet uh, 
when there's trouble in paradise. And I hope we can solve every problem before we have to go to a lawyer. Yeah. Well, I, I know the, the fathers now for 17 years. And if I count all my relationships together, I come to 11 years or something. So they're by far my longest relationship and they will be that forever. And whatever happens, whatever wind will blow through our family, we take care. We, um, we manage it together. And yeah, we have a lot, a lot of fun too. And we also do other things together. Uh, like, oh, do you want to go for a walk? Or I want to go to the shop. Who wants to join me? So sometimes I'm doing something with one of the fathers, going to the cinema or theater or whatever. No, this isn't an advertisement break. I'm not going to try and sell you a mattress yet, but I am going to ask you to rate and review this podcast on your podcasting app, as well as subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Not only will you get a little notification when a new episode drops, but you'll help increase our visibility too. If you really want to keep on top of the show, then you should follow us on social media. We're available on Instagram at the Daddy Issue Pod, Twitter at Daddy Issue Pod, and you can find us on Facebook too by searching for The Daddy Issue. All of these links are available on our website too, which is thedaddyissue.org. Thank you so much for your support. Now, back to this week's episode. I was wondering what, for you, the main benefits are then of this co-parenting agreement as a parent for both sides, for you and also for the fathers. Like, What are the biggest benefits of this? If I had done it with a boyfriend, it would have been with the wrong boyfriend and I would have divorced and I would have felt sad for the rest of my life because co-parenting after a divorce is really something different. But yeah, fulfilling my child wish, I think if I would have done it on my own, I would have had one child because that was heavy enough on my own. I'm very happy to see that the children know their fathers, that their fathers also raise the children. Uh, the children have input from three adults. They see a relationship in the other house. But for me, myself, it's great to have them a week and also great to have a week that I'm Sarah and not just a mother. And I think the fathers in the week that the children are here, they can work, they do their own things, but they can also be a couple and do things together. They can go for a weekend to Belgium without making serious plans who takes care of the children. Yeah, so unlike a heterosexual couple where there's sometimes a lot of tension when it comes to planning even a simple weekend away, you guys don't have that so much because you can plan around each other's lifestyles and have time as well to have a break and calm down uh, while, while the children are with uh, the fathers or with you. You give each other some breathing space. And what about your children then? What for them is the main benefit of being part of a co-parenting family? Well, they can't compare it. So it's normal for them. So you can't talk about what's the benefit because it's normal. They don't know how it is to live in one house. And uh, my oldest son says, well, maybe it's boring to live in one house. And the other one says, well, the disadvantage is that I have to clean up two rooms. And in one house, there are two fathers who say I have to clean up my room. <laughs> and by the way, 
when he says, I've cleaned my room, well, I think about it differently. I still still see a huge mess. When when you, you're fed up with your mother, then, oh, the week is, is over. I'm going to my father's. And then you're fed up with your father. <laughs> and, and I mean, there, there, there are 13 and 15 now, so they want zero parents. But in the beginning, they were very happy. They didn't have to go to daycare or whatever they had there always was a parent at home well that's that's typical teenage life until they get to 18 and then suddenly they want the parents back again from my personal experience that's how that's how it went for me and i'm wondering do you think your children are more open-minded because of the fact that they have gay fathers as well i hope so when they were younger they, they were surprised like hey sebastian was picked up by one father from daycare yeah uh, where's the other father and also children in their class yeah one person has one mother just one mother the other has two mothers we have two fathers and a mother it's all normal it is the way it is when you're young the people who find it strange are adults they think hmm, two fathers one mother but children it's normal it's, it's the way it is so you can ask my children anything but they will just say it's normal yeah they don't know any different if if you want a podcast with 400 the same words, just ask them questions. The answer will be normal, normal, normal. <laughs> uh, when you ask them, like, do you think uh, all three parents uh, should have custody? In the beginning, they said, yeah, 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 all three parents have to have custody. And now they say, I want zero parents with custody. <laughs> but but they, uh, I'm sure they want all three parents to pay their phone bills. I think so, yeah. And to inherit from, and to cook, and to do the laundry, because you think you're a mother, but you're a cook, uh, IT specialist, because there's always a phone or laptop with problems, a cleaning lady, bike repair shop, I'm everything. <laughs> DIY all in one. Even for the fathers, you have to fix stuff for them as well. I am I co-parent with, with two gay men, and I'm the person who repairs the bicycles and teaches the children how to repair their own bike. That's an essential Dutch skill. I, I can't fix my own bike. And I'm the one who goes swimming with them and sailing and skating. I, I do the water port. And one of the fathers does the chess and the other one is the gymnastics father. So they're going to be a triple threat with uh, three skills. Water skills, chess skills and the gymnastics skills. Well, the oldest one is not really good in the gymnastics part. So we skipped that one. <laughs> Do you have to edit that bit out? <laughs> in case they hear it. <laughs> I'm really good. <laughs> no, no, no. He knows he's not good at that. <laughs> what is it exactly that a rainbow family coach does? Well, a rainbow family coach, I don't know if there are too many other rainbow family coaches, but I help people who want children, if they're LGBT or single, if they need or want a different family construction or don't know yet what they want, they can come to me. I give workshops, I give coach sessions, so I ask them difficult questions. But they can also come to me, for instance, a single woman met a gay couple or a lesbian couple met a person who wants to be their donor, they can come to me before they start. And then I'll, I will ask them some difficult questions uh, to think about. And after that, they go to a lawyer to really uh, sign for all the things they agreed upon. 
and then they can start. And what we see is that people who went to a counselor before they started are doing much better than, well, not everybody, but we see less people back for mediation if they did proper counseling in advance. And people, yeah, people can also come if they have children already and they are in trouble or want to make a decision. So, yeah, it's it's very different. A lot of different family constructions, uh, different people, different questions. And I also train uh, professionals who work with families how to deal with this modern family types. So, for instance, midwives, teachers, doctors, I explain them what the different family types are and how they can deal with the families. Yeah, so you're a pioneer and a fountain of knowledge for rainbow families, teaching experts uh, like midwives and all these different constructions. Do you know maybe how many people you've helped coach into families at this point? I have no clue. At the foundation, more than wished for, we see 1,200 people a year. Wow. Uh, we give information or we organize speed dates where uh, wannabe parents can meet each other. That's about 1,200 people a year. And in my coaching and the workshops I give, that's also a lot. And all the lectures I give to students, teachers, midwives, doctors, nurses, whatever. It's a lot of people. Yeah. I, I counted the babies which were born through speed dates I organized. That's 25 by now. Wow. Um, that doesn't sound like too much because we do the speed dates now for seven years. But for me, it proves that people don't say yes to the first person they meet. They really think it over. And sometimes we see people about four times back on a speed date before they find somebody where it feels good enough with to form a family. So that's 25 babies, but... There are also ads on the website of More Than Wished For. Maybe there are 200 babies there. I don't know. And in my own uh, practice, yeah, I think also I think 20 or 30. Sometimes people send a birth card. That's a very Dutch thing, I think, that you send everybody a card that the baby is born. So I have a whole package of birth cards here. Yeah, that's very Dutch. Yeah. So I always ask, like, send me a birth card. I was very confused when I got those. <laughs> You have to count them up. So you're responsible then for a kind of a mini rainbow baby boom, I guess. (laughs) I don't, don't give me too much honor. The parole did say that you were responsible for a baby boom. Um, I was reading. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's what they said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that sometimes people send me an email in the middle of the night, like I read your book and this is what I want to, I always thought I would end up without children, but now I read this. I know this is what I want. And they email me at like four, four at night or something. So I have book babies, babies which are born because people read my book. And actually out of every interview, somebody gets inspired. So I do a lot of interviews and that's to inspire people, but also very good for the acceptation. If people know that there are different family types and it, yeah, it's 2021 that helps Like if your son is gay and you read in a newspaper about surrogacy or co-parenting, then you're not surprised if your son comes home and says, well, I want to introduce you to your uh, uh, daughter-in-law. Yeah, I guess that's the big thing, isn't it? It's acceptance. And the more that people know about something and the more that they're educated on it, 
they're more accepted as it is. And more importantly, people know what kinds of questions to ask and people know what answers to give them. And that's just essential for acceptance in any community on any issue. Yeah, I, I always say don't ask, don't give unasked advice, but ask questions which help the person. Not uh, Don't give advice if you don't know anything about it. You're not asking for advice from your family. You want to tell them things and they can ask questions. But saying you shouldn't do that because it's bad for the child, you don't know. Yeah, that's when it does come to telling your parents about this sort of stuff. Yeah, you just tell them. And it's the same as with heterosexual families. A baby is coming. Oh, we're going to have a baby with this root. Yeah, deal with it. Sounds kind of harsh, but it is deal with it because that's what we've decided to do. What would your advice then be to people listening who are maybe thinking about co-parenting? Um, I want to write a second book about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of advice to be given. I think it's very important that you do this very well informed so go to meetings where they give information take care that you speak a lot of people about this people who have the experience of a family like this already people who want this family already uh, who want this family take care that you choose the family construction which fits you most take care you meet a lot of in your case, women, so that you really feel the difference. And at one point you will feel that, yeah, it's like falling in love, that you think, okay, this is the person I want to be a family with. And first go to a counselor and then to a lawyer and then start. And as soon as you say yes and you have children, you make the best out of it. Yeah. This is the way you've chosen and you just do it. You make the best of it because you have a child. And the child deserves loving parents. Doesn't matter if it's one, two, three, or four. It deserves loving parents who can get along very well. Sarah, I want to thank you so much for not only your time, uh, let me interview you, but also all of the hard work you've put in to helping the LGBTQ community realize their wishes to be parents and advocating different forms of family. It's um, it's really inspiring. Uh, to see your work so thank you so much for your time and thank you also so much for your work well thank you because it's very useful to have these podcasts and especially to have them in english so um yeah thanks a lot and good luck with your own uh, family thank you so much sarah That's it for this week's episode. But it's not the end of our journey into co-parenting. Next week on The Daddy Issue, we'll be exploring co-parenting from the point of view of a gay couple. Before we wrap up, I need to give a huge thank you to Sarah Costa. Most of the Dutch-based guests you'll be meeting on the show are connections that Sarah shared with me. I also want to ask you a small favor. Before you take out your headphones and get back on with the rest of your day, Think about somebody you think would find this show interesting. It could be your parents, your best friend, a colleague, maybe even your partner. Whoever it is, be sure to recommend our show to them. We'd love it if they love hearing our show too. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week.
The Issue is an independent podcast. Produced and presented by me, Connor James. Music by Willem de Boy. Fact-checking and editorial support from Emma Vogt. Our original artwork is by the incredible K-Toys. And a special thank you this week goes to Sarah Costa, who not only let me interview her for the show, but provided most of the contact details for the people you'll hear in future episodes. We're available on Instagram at the Daddy Issue Pod, Twitter at Daddy Issue Pod, and you can find us on Facebook too by searching for the Daddy Issue. 